You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. And we've got a very special show on today, as a matter of fact, and I think you're going to find it quite interesting from a number of different aspects. And uh, it's going to be called Delta Force. And uh, we've got the daughter of the colonel that put together Delta Force back a number of years ago. She's on the line, Connie Beckworth Howe. And uh, Beckwith, I should say. And uh, Connie, welcome to America's Web Radio. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. Well, it's it's it should be fun, and we want to. I want to put a shout out and thank uh, the folks that. And and I'll ask you while we're while we're talking about it, uh, what you think of it. But um, Rick White uh, and the folks at the Georgia Military Veterans Museum, or not museum, but Hall of Fame, uh, helped. Uh, have given me a list, and we're going to be doing a lot of Vietnam veterans and a lot of veterans and their stories and their family stories over the next few weeks. And uh, uh, Rick White uh, was kind enough to give me Connie's uh, information, and he is, uh, as is everybody, quite in awe with Delta Force, and as we remember him. And um, Connie, when when was Delta Force? When when did your father have the crystal ball and say this is what we need? Well, he realized there was a need for this. You know, when he served with the British SAS, mm-hmm. um, and that was um, you know that back in the early around 1961 or so. And so after he was there, he came back with just he was had that vision that, gosh, you know, America needs some sort of elite unit like the SAS. You know, things were just starting to get kind of bubbling up in these other Middle East countries. So he just always had that in the back of his mind. I believe he even did maybe his uh, thesis or big, um, you know, report when he was at, uh, command. I guess, command and general I guess it was the uh, staff college, you know, when you go to as a captain mm-hmm. at Leavenworth, where he did a paper on this, and nobody really seemed to <laughs> be interested. And so that's, but then he just kind of, you know, things kept going on in, in the world, and then he he just felt like, you know, he just pushed it through. And things are still going on in the world, and yes. Delta Force is still uh, very a much... need for it. Part of uh, part of the military. Let me. I want to set the record straight from the beginning. And I, I may be. I've been called a lot of things, like nutty as a fruitcake. So, uh, if this is a fruitcake question, you can answer it that way. But uh, am I mistaken? Are is Delta Force the first and only, and only once I think military unit, if you want to call it a unit, or whatever you want to call it, but organization that was called in to a civilian situation. That I honestly don't know the entire answer to. Uh, to my knowledge, you know, there, the Delta was, had been called in, 
but that doesn't mean there were not other agencies that may have also been called in, you know, uh, that I don't know. Okay. Well, I didn't mean to throw you a hardball or anything. No, I mean, I, I remember, you know, I know that they did support, I think, Olympics, maybe a prison some sort of thing. I think um, you, you. I think you just hit it on the head, and or what I was thinking about, which doesn't mean a whole lot, but is the prison situation. We had no. Uh, there were no SWAT teams. There were no anything that had the training that uh, Delta Force did. True. Okay, so I've got that question off the table. Now I'm going to ask another extremely hard question. How many Delta Force movies have been made? I know they're a Chuck Norris one, but... I mean, I think Chuck Norris, and I think there was even like a funny one, oh, with the... No, I can't think of the actor. Oh, the fat guy? No. Well, maybe, was it James Coburn? Was he in the one with um, Chuck Norris? I don't don't remember. (laughs) I don't even, truthfully, I don't think I ever watched any of the... I don't think I watched it. But there really hasn't, there's never been a, you know, like a realistic, like a, so, a, something that would be a good movie yeah, based version. on the actual mission, hmm. you know, that got aborted. Uh, interesting. And I, those were, uh, I don't know, I remember the Chuck Norris movie, I and I've seen it, I just don't remember a whole lot about it, uh, uh, you know, so forth. Yeah. So your father had been in the military quite some time when he came up with the idea? Yes. You know, he um, he graduated from the University of Georgia in, I believe, 1952. He and my mother got married, and then he did his training at Fort Benning uh, as an infantryman, and then he ended up going to Korea for just a short stint. So from 52, 53 to, you know, 71-ish, Two-ish. That's how long, you know. But I mean, he didn't really push it until he'd been to, uh, you know, after he'd been to the Command General Staff College. You know, uh, was um, okay. Uh, Sixty-two, you say something like that. So he's uh, did he? That's do a, when, yeah. Did he do a tour in in Nam? He did two tours in Vietnam. Okay, and. Was part of this idea that he had for a Delta Force uh, come from the, the treatment? Uh, Rick White, Colonel White, and I talked about this when he was on last week. But uh, and I was I was in the army, but nothing, absolutely zero, nothing. But you know, we couldn't even, uh, or we were told not to wear our uniforms through the airports as we traveled, uh-huh. and uh, you know, and it was. You know, there there wasn't that much quote unquote violence, but did your father? Do you think uh, the treatment of military through airports and then traveling back in the sixties uh, and and really early seventies um, did that have anything to do with his decision and and the thoughts that terrorism is coming our way? I really think after his assignment with the SAS and seeing the way they trained, you know, because they were the the elite unit that was going and doing things. He was just so impressed with um, their work ethic. 
um, you know, how they, how officers and enlisted interacted, kind of that common sense approach, but at the same time, you know, work hard, get the job done. And then I think, again, there were things going on that we as Americans didn't really know about that were bubbling up. Um, if you start to, if you go back in history, you can see that the, almost the beginnings of terrorism, especially with uh, Great Britain, because the, you know, they had certain holdings in, like Yemen and so I think he just, he kind of had an upper hand, like knowing, okay, these things are going on. And I guess when he came back, you know, home, of course, he was, you know, in special forces, mm-hmm. which, you know, is kind of considered, well, now more of the elite. But back then, the special forces guys, you know, were kind of considered the um, the rebels. Yeah. <laughs> the so he just always, mm-hmm. I don't think he had any, as far as, you know, I think he just had a, a pulse of things that were going on in the world that, you know, that ter- you know, again, he was just getting read in on with, that um, it all stemmed really from his um, being a, an exchange officer with the SAS that really got this off the ground. Okay, now this was, and I, and I may have my history muddled a bit, but... Um, Back in that time period, wasn't the terrorism of England and particularly London and so forth from the uh, uh, Northern Irish? There was there was some of that, but there was also, like I said, I've just been reading lately. There were some bubblings of other things that we, I don't think, really realized that were starting to trickle. Uh, but you're absolutely right. There was the uh, all that, and that's what kind of got people, you know, the training and just these cells were starting to grow. You know, and would something like that could a cell? You know, there were things going on starting in South America. I mean, just it was just almost like um, one thing, like a domino effect was starting to. You know, you know they just had to. So anyway. One of the things that I and I've said this many times, and probably to the to the boredom of uh, our audience, but uh, you know, I love the United States, and and I don't mean this critically, but if we have failed since inception, in my opinion, it's in foreign policy, and we I'm not sure we have a foreign policy today. In fact, but. And I, I say that in just sort of speak, but um, we have been so blessed and have gotten from point A to point D or E or wherever we're at today, uh, and we sort of have taken, or it seems to me like we've taken the attitude, well, it doesn't matter we are who we are, and we don't really care. We're, we're, we're going to do our thing, and... You know, nobody's going to mess with us, and and we're bigger and better than everything. Oh, I I mean, I totally agree. I think we are Americans have really gotten naive. Uh, we we everyone takes it for granted. Um, there's absolutely no uh, sense of you know, okay, uh, what's going on? It, it's uh, I mean, I it's there's kind of an ignorance um, going around. That everything's that we're going to be fine, yeah. but that's just not the way it is. You know, and uh, it's happening over there, not here. And and this was sort of uh, 
Well, let's sell the Japanese a lot of steel and see what they're going to do with it. Well, I mean, I will tell you, I remember being at my house in Fort Bragg, probably during college, so that that was before the Iranian raid, when my dad was getting everything ready, and we were sitting at the dining room table, and he said, one of these days, terrorism's going to be in this country. But no, and I, I don't, it went right over me. I'm like, well, whatever. I, you know, I didn't really realize that his words were so true. Mm. And he, the people didn't want to, people didn't believe it, even back in the 70s. Oh, yeah. And, and, and people don't want to believe it now, even, even after we've had attacks. Even oh, no. so back Let's, in the 60s, and, and in some ways I feel like we're reliving the mentality in the, of the yes, 60s right now. I, I agree. And, you know, uh, it's, it's a shame, and it, I, I don't know what to do other than have shows like this on that tell the truth and, and hopefully um, wake some people up as we go down the road. But I know. It's, uh, it is incredible. In the, the 60s, I never saw anything like that in the 60s, and I've never seen anything like today ever. And uh, people, you know, they just don't want to believe it. Yeah, our, our country is in big trouble, you know, and uh, people just don't want to, they're, they're just not wanting to believe anything, or they're easily led, they're so... Um, brainwashed mm-hmm. uh, by, you know, the, the way the, the media and the culture of our world is now that they really, I don't think, have a clue. You, you hit something on the head there, brainwashed. And uh, I, I grew up in the Cold War, okay? And, uh, I, and supposedly it was all over with when uh, Reagan had um, Gorbachev tear down that wall. Well, folks... We're in as big a Cold War today as we've ever been in, in my opinion. I, I, I agree. And uh, we're going to take a break and come back and be with Connie Howe right after a couple of messages. Thanks for listening. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. 
The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. All right, and we're back on America's Web Radio with our special, very special guest. And, Connie, I'm going to ask you up front, do you mind coming back and being on again in the in the future? No, I don't mind at all. Good. Because this is, I, I love talking to you, and uh, uh, the military, well, I have a son that's uh, uh, in the uh, Air Force and stationed in Germany, and so the military has been near and dear to me. I was nothing in the Army, but I was in, did my time in uniform, and, uh, you know, it's, as I think you will agree with, uh, the military and it's all branches. You're not. You're not in. You're in the army, but you're also in the air force and navy and everything exactly. else, really. And it's I the agree. biggest fraternity or sorority in the world. And um, agreed. You know, there's a common denominator of the person that served with the with the other person that served, and uh, it's just it's. And and I you know I think it's even. I know I look old enough to have been in the uh, Civil War, but uh, I can't address it like I can uh, some later years. But it seems like even with the volunteer army and the volunteer service, it's gotten closer than it was uh, during the the draft and so forth and the lottery. I think you're right. And uh, it's, you know, you make your decision, I want to go serve. And after your father... or when did you went into the military, correct? Yes, I after I graduated from George, I was commissioned through ROTC in 1978. Oh, okay. And uh, what was your uh, MOS? I was a quartermaster uh, officer, supply and logistics. Ah. And you know, what when I was in, and this was like I said during Vietnam, but as I recall, I think it was the figure that it takes five behind to support the one in front, <laughs> um, and that and that's what you were doing, you know, as a, in logistics and in supplies. You're you're making sure that everybody has their everything from their bullets to the brass. And, uh, well, I wanted, you know, of course, I wanted when I I wanted to be a parachute rigger. Um, I didn't want to be a quarter, but, and so I knew that quartermaster, that's where the rigors were. But then, and I wanted to go to the 82nd Airborne, and my father had made sure that that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
And all this I never knew until later. Ah. So anyway, but I did, you know, I did finally get to go to rigor school and then be, you know, in the reserves with it. He, but, didn't, he didn't want you jumping out of planes with he, a He uh, just weapon. didn't want me to be around in the 82nd. He just knew back, you know, you've got to remember back in my day, <clears throat> there weren't, women were just starting to come in. Mm-hmm. And it was just a whole different world, you know, oh, than there there's, that's just the way it was. Well, you know, like I, I'm amazed in that uh, when I was in, and and it was probably not too much before you, but uh, like we had, there was no uh, officer enlisted personnel. There was no fraternization. Period. Right. Uh, uh, enlisted person didn't fraternize with an officer or, or mm-hmm. go out to dinner with them or have lunch with them or anything else unless it happened to be brought in but um no fraternization i believe was the term and uh today <laughs> some of my son's best friends are enlisted people and well, yeah totally changed I, I think though a lot of that has to do with our enlisted are now getting are educated mm-hmm. you know it's it's a whole different um culture you know mm-hmm. it's not and so you have, I think, things that's made things change a bit. Oh, I'm, sh- I'm sure. We, uh, when, I, when, I was, when I did BASIC and AIT, um, <laughs> it, it was sort of mind-boggling to our DIs, our drill instructors, in that uh, my BASIC platoon, everybody had their degree, their college degree. <laughs> that's unusual, and, uh, yeah. Uh, and... Uh, you know, and then when I went into AIT, it was almost not quite, but almost the same thing that everybody had a degree, and and um, unfortunately, many of the uh, drill instructors, the DIs, uh, were lucky if they graduated from high school. Exactly. Back then, and so there was a little, uh, not really animosity as much as just uh, a diff- It was a different form of competitiveness if yes. that's a word you know <laughs> and it yeah. it would mess up their heads that well you, you got to do it you got to do it over and over and over again for you people to catch on what we're talking about and we'd run through it the first time and it was done exactly <laughs> so thing you're right things have changed and uh, the only thing that i would like to see and i'm i'm sure that your father would have agreed with this is that i I really, it's a pet peeve, it's a real, I don't know, I have a real, real problem with it when our politicians make military decisions and they've never worn the boots. Totally agree. And they, but it's just, it's always, it's just a fact of life, just the way it's going to be. Yeah, uh, well, I don't. Who knows? Maybe we can change it someday. It it would be nice, but it's really, really hard when you do have, you know, politicians making general officers do something they really shouldn't be doing or don't really want to do. Yeah, and uh, one's behind a desk and one's got dirt on his boots. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have no idea. They have no idea what it's like to be shot at or anything else. And, uh, you know, there have been... And another thing that a lot of folks don't understand, which I was taken aback until I went out to uh, Missouri, Fort uh, Leonard Wood, and uh, 
as a civilian uh, doing some business there, and uh, I drive up, and I'm not sure we'd have a military today if it wasn't for contract labor. Well, that's probably true. It's uh, it's a scary thought, but they're they're the uh, they're the cooks and bottle washers, yeah. and now they're the MPs at many gates, and uh, mm-hmm. I just. You know, I'm sorry. That's that ain't the way it's supposed to be, in my opinion. Well, that's you know, they've just they've cut the military so short that that's they've made that the necessity. Yeah, and uh, then it's then it uh, boils over to those contract folks go to the battlefield, and uh, yeah, it's just uh, I don't know. I. I uh, I have a problem with it all. But I, I'm with you. <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I think I you and I are on the same page. <laughs> uh, I don't. Uh, I don't. But this is this is why we're doing the show is to one bring a different look, tone, and smell to folks of Vietnam. And uh, we were, I guess, my business, and I was I was um, in high school and had started my first radio job when I was in high school and covering I covered uh, Kennedy's assassination for my station and uh, from the station I didn't fly to Dallas immediately but uh, worked at the station and uh, then you know and then Vietnam had just really started up and was beginning to boil and you know had I done then what they do today, I would have been fired in a second. We were we were told that uh, you know you you read and you report news, you don't throw in your opinion. Right. And uh, today we don't get news, we get opinions, mm-hmm. and uh, that's sad. And and it uh, people don't or a lot of folks don't understand how somebody's opinion about the military can hurt deeply into the military. And uh, if they're giving their opinion, which is not necessarily the truth, it's even worse. So, right. Um, and uh, our military is is the best in the world, and the folks that are in it are the best in the world, in my opinion. So, I agree. <laughs> you know, and uh, it's... Uh, I think it should come first in the funding of everything from... Um, from uh, medical to equipment and up and down the gambit, they should be first. They're the ones that keep us where we can talk, where the the jerks can be politician and the jerks can be on some television station or whatever. <laughs> so, we agree. All right, let's talk more about your dad. And uh, uh, the Delta Force and... Where did okay? He got his training basically, or the idea from SAS, right? Yes, because you know he was, uh, you know, special for Green Beret. You know, he mm-hmm. had, and then you know his, tra- you know, he his Vietnam training with special forces, smaller, you know, unconventional warfare, guerrilla warfare. That was what he knew, and that's, and of course, all that you know. Now we, that's what. That's how we fight. Unconventional, you know, things have completely changed from tanks, armor, you know, all that. So, 
You know, I, I can remember guys saying, God, you wouldn't believe Vietnam, all that green stuff, the jungles. And they they don't play fair. They hide behind a, a tree, yeah. <laughs> you know. And uh, we were used to, I think when we went into Vietnam, we were almost uh, fighting the colonial war all over again or something or didn't understand. Yeah, we didn't learn from history at all. No, and and again, I I say that this is where we've made terrible mistakes. Yeah. uh, You know, they uh, uh, used to to make fun of... of, um, any general that was a historian, and we know the best of them, and uh, you know Patton. Patton was quite a historian, but they made fun of of his when he would say something about history. And yet, like we all know, and this is what's scary today is that history repeats itself. Well, it was like in Somalia; people didn't think, "Oh, the Somalis, they're who? They're just they're they can't do anything, huh?" Yeah, they showed they showed us. It was the same mentality that we have that, you know, we're bigger, better, we're smarter, and but, you, but we're in their backyard. And that's what we, seems like we forget, like in Vietnam, we, we were in their, their place. They, so. These guys have hospitals set up in tunnels? Yeah. How unique. Underground, son of a gun. And, uh, yeah, we, we were, well, and again... In my opinion, the Vietnam War didn't turn out like it should have, and it turned out to be a politician's war, mm-hmm. and that was that was wrong and sent the wrong message to the rest of the world, in my opinion. And then the Iranians challenged us, challenged us again, and uh, I don't know. It's uh, yeah, and we're coming full circle mm-hmm. <laughs> right oh, now. Yeah. With Iran, just, yeah, no telling. Well, I think, I don't know. I feel like we have, uh, just again, my opinion, uh, not that it's military leadership per se, but maybe political leadership is a bit better than it was back then. I agree. <laughs> uh, so, well, yeah, you and I, I we probably drink the same stuff. I think I so. Know. I think so. <laughs> uh, but, it, you know, I mean, it's... And, oh, there's another term that just, uh, well, I tell you what, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back with Connie right after this. And, Connie, thank you. If you don't mind holding on for a little while, we'll be right back. Sure. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not... You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. 
Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on America's Web Radio and David's Pick, and I'm sure uh, you all are probably, oh, well, anyway, Connie and I were talking off mic, and uh, I have uh, a friend, uh, in fact, uh, his family, or or his son went to Texas A&M with my son, and uh, he was a a, uh, Air Force pilot and flew uh, uh, Air Force One, and uh, we were we were talking about that and, and the friend that uh, you all have that uh, flies and how nice the Trumps are, and particularly Mel- Melania, and uh, uh, not only nice, but extremely good looking, and uh, you know... And down I, to earth. <laughs> that's, and down to earth, and it's, uh, you know, it's just... It's a shame that uh, the media doesn't give her her dues because, you know, I guess they're scared of her because she's so much smarter than they are, and um, they probably don't know how to handle it. As you know, and it's it's been a fact, and you can go back and check facts of what I'm saying that um, Democrats in office flying in Air Force One are not the kindest people in the world. We know of what Hillary used to say to the Secret Service and everything else, and she treated the pilots the same way. That uh, There used to be a saying about something doesn't stink, but we, we won't go into that. But anyway, <laughs> um, <with> you. <laughs> you know, so uh, just a shout-out to our First Lady. She should be getting... Yes. She, we should be so... We are so lucky to have somebody like Melania Trump as our First Lady... And we should be, in my opinion, exploiting it around the world. Look at this lady. She even speaks your language. And um, and she's an immigrant. And she's an immigrant. <laughs> I, don't get, I don't get it. I, I know. It's just... Uh, yeah. Well, we do get it, but... Yep, we do. Yeah, anyway. 
I, it, it's uh, in the show uh, right before, uh, uh, well, at 8 o'clock, uh, Doctor's Lounge. And, and it's everything. It's in the medical profession. It's everywhere. But it, it's uh, at my age, it's sort of like somebody has taken our world and bounced it like a basketball and to see what shakes out. I've, I've never seen it like this. And uh, I hope that it's turning around, and I hope that it's turning around primarily for the military as well. And, I hope so. Uh, you know, we... Uh, and I, again, I've told this story a jillion times, but I had a, a many years ago in, in junior high school, we had a professor come and give us a talk and said, you don't ever have to worry about the communists bombing the United States. They want us to be their greatest asset, and uh, they wouldn't want to destroy it. And he said the way they'll take it, the way they'll take the United States is through our books, our literature, starting in colleges with uh, infiltrating, putting in uh, communistic um, professors, and then it'll trickle down to high school, junior high school, and finally rewriting history in elementary school. Mm-hmm. Hello? That's right. So uh, I didn't mean for this to become a political show, Connie. I, I wanted it to be <laughs> more about your dad, but your dad really, I, I think... He had a handle on it, and that's why he started Delta Force. Oh, yeah, he, he really did. I mean, you know, he was no great scholar, but, you know, he was somebody that had a lot of common sense. And he he got it, but he was just not in the right time at the right place, you know, um, for some, you know. And I, I think there's part of me that I'm glad that he wasn't alive to know what happened, you know, the that we had a terrorist attack. You know, I, oh, he would have, oh, anyway. He would have re-upped it even at his age, wouldn't he? Oh, my gosh. No talent, you know, it would have just, mm, it would have killed him. You know, I mean, I mean, it would have just broken his heart. But anyway, you know, he just did his best. He just loved his country. He instilled patriotism into you know me my sisters um everybody he was around um you know after he died my mom used to say people would call her you know and they'd say you don't know me but i knew your your husband and i'll never forget you know he did this for me or he helped me do that i mean he really instilled a lot of he really helped a lot of people and just you know had that belief in our country and that's I'm very thankful that, you know, he was my dad and instilled in me such a strong, you know, sense of patriotism and America. You know, the best leaders are the best givers. And they give of their time, they give of their position, and I think their mission is to help. And as a commanding officer, you give to your troops. And that gift is survival. Exactly. And learning how to survive. And, you know, the like I said, the best leader is the best giver. And you, I'm sure your dad was well, well respected for the, the gift of training and the, the gift of taking care of his troops. But, see, he was so good in, you know, like in the battlefield. You know, it was hard for him to push papers, you know, when he got back. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, he was 
the best leader. But, you know, it was just then, you know, you come back and then you have to work with, you know, people that are his um, colleagues that aren't really, weren't good in everything else. So, anyway, he, um, he, he was a good leader. And he is now, as of uh, 2018, in the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And, uh, again, a shout-out to them, a shout-out to Rick White, uh, Colonel Rick White, retired, that uh, brought the Georgia Military Hall of Fame uh, to Atlanta and, and has worked uh, wonders with it. And, uh, you know, I we are supporting it every way we can. I didn't know it was in existence until uh, I met Rick at a uh, Johns Creek Veterans Association meeting. And uh, we should all go down. It's uh, right across from the Capitol. You've been to it, right? Well, I have not, I've not been to there, um, where, you know, in, in Atlanta. I've just okay. gone to the, um, the, you know, the actual... The induction, the ceremony that was oh. held in Columbus. Okay, yeah, and uh, I think they have another one coming up in November, I believe. Yes, they have it. In fact, you should go to one. <laughs> you should <laughs> well, tell Rick needs to invite you to be a, a guest. Well, he did, and uh, you, you he, need to go. <laughs> he, uh, he even um, made some other other uh, passing things uh, on the fact that we're doing this show and and uh, that we are pro military and. Um, it just, I don't know where, well, I do know where. Uh, it wasn't my parents because my father uh, was in uh, World War II. And, uh, we, you know, we, we've all always been pro-military. Not, not as big uh, flag wavers as we probably should have been, but uh, we still all supported the military. And then... The generation, my generation, I guess, um, the the ones that acted like fools in Chicago and the ones that acted like fools burning their draft cards and all this kind of stuff, they're the ones that are responsible for our kids today that don't understand the military, don't understand what the cost of freedom is. Exactly. And uh, he... There ain't nothing in life free except my show. And, uh, <laughs> you know, beyond that, there is a price to pay. And I, I'm glad that we have the administration that we have that's rebuilt. I was in Hawaii while my, my son was stationed in Hawaii for a while. And if you want to see a grown man cry, you, we went out on the tarmac, and there were wonderful jets there that were being cannibalized because our infamous government wouldn't buy the parts to keep them flying. Mm. Mm. And you'd see them one after another and, and it just it's heart, it was heartbreaking. Thank goodness. It, it those, makes you sick to your stomach. Yeah. And you wonder what's going to happen when. And I, I've wondered this a lot uh, lately about these uh, things they call millennials uh, and wondered if we went to war where are our forces coming from you you no telling 
So I'm afraid to even think think about that. Oh, I know, and uh, um, you know, and they. Huh, uh, I, I would be. I would have loved to have set been sitting uh, next to your father when, when and watching Patton. You know, <laughs> and um, personally, the creep deserved to be slapped on the helmet, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, the truth of the matter is, worse things happen to a lot of folks in the military that are never told, and they shouldn't be told. It just, if you're in the military, you're in the military, and you play by their rules. You don't make up your own. But anyway, so tell us, Mark, tell us um, something very unique about your father that you would, that always has stood out even from the time you were two years old sitting in his lap well you know my father you know his father died when he was i guess around nine years old hmm. so he and his so his mother had to raise him and two other siblings you know as a single female you know back in the 40s wow. so he was raised um and i found out later from my father's best friend that she was the the most strict disciplinarian, <laughs> which was good. So my dad grew up, I think, being, I guess, you know, having, listening, following the rules um, to some degree, but still knowing right and wrong. But, you know, I guess in saying that, he wasn't somebody that was overly affectionate. He... Um, you know, we were always kind of scared of him <laughs> growing up, but I guess what really kind of always hit me is like I remember he he really had a soft spot. Um, you know, I just remember the time he dropped me off uh, at the University of Georgia. First time I saw him cry. You know, he um, you know he tried to be the tough guy all the time because he was just trying so hard to make sure. You know, he he did what was right for us. You know, and he was so the reason we didn't like him. He was so strict, but he was just so dedicated to being a good father. You know, making sure that we were raised right. And I I guess you know to me that was one of his good characteristics. Was you know he um, he he really loved his family. Um, you know he he loved people. He wanted to. He wanted the best for him, but um, he just. Um, he also spoke his mind. He <laughs> kind of. That's another thing. I I think now that I look back, he wasn't afraid to tell what he thought, and that might have alienated people. But um, you know, and he was also uh, very artistic. A lot of people <laughs> wouldn't know that. Hmm. He he would buy all my mother's. He would pick out all her clothes. He picked out all the furniture. Um, <laughs> he he um, he loved music. Uh, he, we'd come home. He'd always have the stereo. He was a very interesting man. I mean, he um, it was more to him than what met you know from than you would think. You know, um, he was a bird, right? Yes, full colonel. Yeah, okay. So some folks out there wouldn't 
appreciate what you just said, um, but with his background and his training and what he did, um, probably speaking his mind and telling it like <laughs> it was and is is why he didn't retire well, with exactly. a Exactly. You know, you, you hit it on the nail, and that is why he never made general. You know, he just did not, he didn't punch tickets. Yeah. You know, he and he just wasn't that type. And, um, you know, in his day, you had to punch it. You know, you did what mm-hmm. was right. You did not. That was just, but he he had, you know, he had the peace of mind. You knew where to kiss and which one to kiss. Yeah, and he never set out to be a general. I think he, you know, he was happy to do what he did. You know, I, I wonder what he, what he would think of today. I, I often wonder. You know, I really do. I think he'd be sick. Um, I think he would just be sick. The all that the people, you know, kneeling and pledge of allegiance. I I I can't even imagine. You know, um, this this is what I guess has bothered me, or, or certainly affected me. Um, after we were after two thousand twenty eleven. Um, I I thought that this is going to be the wake-up call and that we'd get the coming together and get back to... And I, you know, I wasn't born when Japan hit Pearl Harbor, but it was still, even as a four- or five-year-old, it was still ingrained of Americanism, you know? And... Um, I thought that we would get back to it and hoped that we would. And, uh, you know, 9-11 came and went, and it was sort of like, you know, the man on the street today, what happened on 9-11? I don't know. Um, well, that, that's because of the administration after Bush, you know, yeah. who that tore us apart. Yep. I, I totally agree. I... Uh, you know, I don't know. Don't I don't have the crystal ball, but I I hope that we will pull back together, and I don't want it to have to be a, a catastrophe for us to do it. That uh, well. I uh, I hope that uh, and pray that the educators will do their job and do it correctly, and uh, I hope so too. Have our kids understand and appreciate history like never before and i i just cringe at uh well we have a we have a i don't know if you uh looked at our menu of shows but we do everything from medical shows to uh locked and loaded uh we're big uh second amendment uh station and uh we're a flag waving station and everything else that's uh patriotic and this is, uh, we hope that uh, people will appreciate us for telling the truth and for presenting, you know, like the old saying is, every coin has two sides, and one side seems to be more prevalent than the other, but we're sure trying to you know, show the other side today, and uh, we do. And, I, and you know, I, I, uh, I, I am very critical 
and I think your father would have appreciated this statement as well, is that uh, our, in my opinion, our media really started going downhill. And I'll say a name that a lot of folks won't remember, but Walter Cronkite and the coverage. This It was the first coverage of almost live coverage. It wasn't live, but almost live coverage of a war, Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And uh, Walter Cronkite did more to hurt our military than folks will ever know. And this thing of every night watching him and getting the body count. How oh, yeah. obnoxious. You know, I just... Well, five of our guys were killed, and only seven of their guys were killed. Yeah, I, I was like, uh, yeah, people, what were they thinking? I couldn't tell you. And yeah. I, and it just went on from there and, and got worse and worse. And um, it was a political war, and people didn't know it, and the media didn't tell the truth. Exactly. You know? And, unfortunately, they still don't. So. I was just going to say that. <laughs> no. Uh, nothing's changed. No, no. We don't seem to ever learn. No, we don't. So what do you do today? Well, I, um, my husband is self-employed. He has a uh, shooting facility where he trains law enforcement, tactical training uh, for people all over. So I help him with his business. I do all the expense, all the, all the background things, and then I'm very busy. I guess you know, since we're empty nesters now, um, I'm very active in um, lineage, the Daughters of the American Revolution. Oh, I know um, DAR well. So I'm very active in that, and active in uh, other lineage society groups i guess you should say and then i'm i have two grandchildren now so i stay busy going back and forth with them (laughs) neat neat well i I, uh congratulate your husband on on the shooting range and this is in uh in uh, north carolina nacogdoches Uh, Nacogdoches. oh i'm I'm sorry nacogdoches texas and that's where i used to uh, buy belts and boots and (laughs) baseball gloves as a matter of fact really yeah That was a long time ago, the baseball gloves, but uh, uh, I assume the leather shops are still there. Or the I leather don't know. Factory. Nacogdoches. Yep. Yeah. Uh, not too far from Wichita Falls, are you? Not too far. And uh, heading towards Dallas. And yes, I know Nacogdoches. <laughs> and, but that's, that was a whole nother life ago. That's. that's <laughs> Many lives ago, I think. Oh, but, uh, goodness. Oh, that's great. He has a, uh, you know, and this is the, we'd like to have him on one of these days. Well, he, yeah, he's, um, you know, in fact, well, yeah, he, you might, I could ask him if, if you'd want to interview him, you know, because he deals a lot with the Guardian programs, the training, active shooters, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. So that's what he, that's his business. Well, our uh, our show Locked and Loaded, or Locked and Loaded, uh, yeah. um, the, Roger Bihar is the uh, host on it. And, uh, okay. Uh, he's a great host and does a great interview. And, you know, this is, uh, I grew up, <laughs> I think, I grew up wearing boots and a gun in my hand, and that's <laughs> that's sort of the way my family. Uh, uh, that's the way it was. Well, and, that was uh, Texas too. Yeah, and we, uh, you know, I started uh, with a BB gun, and and um, 
shooting sparrows and uh, then you know graduated and into other weapons and but that's Texas and and I'm I'm glad I grew up in Texas it's the greatest state in the world and one of these days uh, I'll be back and uh, uh, if they let me in again <laughs> they may have the border patrol out there stopping me but anyway um, Connie is there a wind up word you want to say about your father well just that you know he was probably one of the files start crying he was one of the finest Americans ever and he was a true hero and he didn't want to be, but um, he, he just—he was just—he he was very humble. He didn't want accolades, but he—he uh, he loved this country. Wish there were more men and women like him out there. Well, uh, in my opinion, the greatest thing that can be said is without. Well, he did get a a. a a Purple Heart and uh, many other awards, but the biggest award is that he left something behind that's still very active today called the Delta Force. That's right. He and, really uh, did. That uh, that, put, that was his that legacy. In, yeah, that puts him in a whole different category from from everybody else that even just served. Uh, his name is is in history, is in Texas, in, in uh, Georgia history now, the mm-hmm. Hall of Fame. Right. And I want to invite everybody that's listening, if you're in Atlanta, go to the Military Hall of Fame, Military Veterans Hall of Fame, and uh, it'll be well worth your while, well worth the time that you spend. Connie Beckwith, thank you. Thank uh, the Lord for people like your father. And um, he's made this a, a better place to live. And uh, we, we, we will have you back on again, just for the folks that didn't hear this show. Well, and thank you, and thank you for getting the word out. You know, God bless you, too. <laughs> thank you. And, okay. Uh, you've been listening to uh, David's Pick on America's Web Radio. I'm glad to have you listening in today. And I uh, want to, again, thank Connie Beckwith and... Uh, we had fun, I had fun, and always learned something. You can always learn from history and always learn from the people that have lived history, and we all are doing that in one shape, form, or fashion. So take care, have a good weekend, and uh, we'll see you next week. Oh, we got a very special guest. Uh, Donna Rowe is coming in. She was a nurse in Vietnam, and she has some stories. You better have your drink handy. Talk to you later. You're listening to America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.